Umket Industries proudly presents the Dixie Stenberg and Brassy Battalion Adventure Theater, a pendant production. In the summer of 1947, a clandestine squadron of P-47 Thunderbolts battled the forces of evil in the skies over America. This squadron was known as Brassy Battalion, and this is their story. Tonight's episode, The Conviction of Cornelius Robert Sims Pearson. When we last left our hero, Dixie Stenberg, she had just watched the plane of her brother-in-arms, Joey Scalzetti, go up in flames as it crashed down into the Hudson River. Joey, damn it, where are you? Dixie scanned the area feverishly, finally finding what she was looking for. There! Floating slowly over the Hudson, Joseph dangled from his parachute and brought himself in for a rough landing in the meatpacking district. Dixie searched the area for a place to set down the Amber Avenger. But then, for just a moment, something caught her eye as it zoomed between the nearby buildings. Invisible to the naked eye, but visible to our daring hero thanks to her special goggles, she finally located the Beast's rocket ship. Damn it! He's right there! But Joey... Her heart told her to help Joey, but her mind pulled her back to reality and the importance of their mission. Joey knows the risks, and he can take care of himself. And besides, I ain't alone. Dixie to Brassy Battalion, come in. Dixie waited for a response, but all that greeted her from the radio waves was silence. Brassy Battalion, come in! Someone, anyone, respond! But just across the city, Brassy Battalion had their hands full with Zeta Squad. Watch out, Tommy. Coming up at four o'clock. I see him. Lily, you've got one on your six. I know, but I can shake him. Too hard to get the safe shot. These Nazis fight like cowards, using buildings full of innocence as shields. We've got to keep pulling them from the city proper. A little further and we can draw them out over the ocean. Brassy Battalion, do you read me? It was just then that the flaming fireball that had previously been Reginald Billingsley's Bach Wolf 190 careened through the fray and crashed down directly into the heart of Central Park. I like kaboom. You imbecile! That was Billingsley! Buzz! I do not see his parachute. He went down with the plane. If so, then he deserves whatever fate awaits him. If Billingsley's down, I'm assuming control of this squadron. Billingsley had a wealth of sensitive information about Scar. If he's not dead, he's a liability. Ursula, Radolf, get into the park, survey the situation, report back to me. If he's dead, be sure none of his plane can be salvaged by the Americans. And if he's alive? Kill him. Zed's squad is mine now. Them are breaking off and heading for the park. Well, that is opposite of directions we want them to go. Brassy Battalion, come in. What's going on out there? We're here, Dixie. Things are getting dicey quick. I spotted the beast, but Joey's out of this fight. His plane's sinking into the bottom of the Hudson. Oh no. Joseph? Don't worry. He made it out, but the last time I saw, he and his parachute crashed into the meatpacking district. He's gonna need some help. We just saw Billingsley crash into the park. 
and we've got half a Zeta squad tracking him right into the heart of the city. And the other half? I thought we were going to find the beast, yeah? Eventually, perhaps. But first, there's a score to settle. I like scores. Thomas, look out! Blimey! Damn it, I can't talk. I'm gonna lose the beast. But what do we do? Courtney's in charge. I gotta go. Thomas in trouble. Ugh, they're all over me. And other Zeta squad claims are getting away. And Joey might need help. And Dixie is following Beast alone. I don't know what to do. Cornelius swallowed hard, knowing lives were on the line as the decision sat in his starchy white lap. His next decision would be one of the most important of his entire life. His palms were sweaty on the controls, his heart beat against his chest like a caged beast, and a shiver slithered down his spine. Lance sakes the pressure! And now, a word from our sponsor, the ultra-modern Umkaloo. Ultra-modern? That is what I said. That sounds like the very most modern it could possibly be. I think that's the idea, chum. Well, let's get someone in here to tell us more. Someone knowledgeable in the ways of ultra-modernness, I presume? Of course. Not just anyone will do. Not just anyone indeed. In fact, only one will do. Only one? The best one. Which one? Shall I tell them? Tell them. It's the amazing Noel. He's amazing. He's astounding. Not a charlatan, not confounding. The amazing Noel. <gasps> The Amazing Noel? Famed mentalist and futuristic predictor extraordinaire? The one and the same. And as always, by my side is the beautiferous... Misfortune Divine. The Amazing Noel and Misfortune Divine. Together at last and now for all time. Yes, dear listeners, it's true. The most ultra-modern and futuristic predictors are here to tell you about the most ultra-modern of products. Oh, tell us, please. I can't wait a moment longer. The amazing Noel works on his own schedule. I do at that, yes. But luckily for everyone involved, my schedule coincides with yours. Oh, blessed day. <gasps> what a miracle. And today, you're going to learn all about a swell new product, Ultramodern Mkaloo. Yes, indeed. Listen. Oh, that noise. Whatever could it be? That gentleman is our electronic monitor. Powered by electricity. With a robotic brain. Oh, that is modern. Not just modern, chum. Ultra-modern. Oh, oh, my mistake. Yes, it was. That dulcet sound you heard was Umket Industries' incorruptible core beam. It's, it's the core beam that makes life so swell. See what we mean, it's incorruptible. 
You see, the core beam means that everything from auto tiles to apple pie... To battleship steel? To baby food. To butter? To cigarettes. To leafy greens and baseball bats can be made better for you. For me? And me? Quite right, sirs. And the fine product the core beam is making better this fine day is the ultra-modern Umkaloo. The best bat that ever baseballed. I love getting baseballed. Especially by misfortune. I am brilliant in the field of nucleonics, you see as applied to industrial engineering. And if anyone can tell us what Corbeam is, it's the amazing Noel. But of course! You see, the Corbeam is a device by which a stream of electrons passes through and analyzes a product while it is actually being made. That sounds technical. And that makes it good. And the electrons transmit what they see to a robotic brain. How smart and highly educated of them. And the robotic brain adjusts the machinery for errors down to millionths of an inch. That is ultra-modern. Well, it's the ultraist. The core beam has electrons and it uses an electronic brain. It does all sorts of things that we really can't explain. And one more thing. One question so many people ask me. How does core beam make a better aluminium bat for all your baseball playing needs? Oh my word, I was just wondering that. Well, the answer is this. Every aluminium baseball bat made with core beam control contains a more precise measurement for a more precise bat drop ratio. And so, ultra-modern umkaloos have sweeter sweet spots and speedier swings. So you can hit that ball all to heck, faster than ever before. You see, I know what core beam can do, and there's your answer. A finer bat has never been smelted. Never? Never! If you want tomorrow's better baseball bat today, next time, stop. Remember... Only Umkaloo has made the ultra-modern way with core beam. Just watch how fast it swings. Was that supposed to happen? Um, uh... I think she just found the sweet spot. <laughs> yes. Oh! <gasps> Superior! Give us one more prediction. I'm getting something. Yes. Yes. Yes! In the future, not only will based ball be played with all aluminium bats, but it will be played on plastic grass named after space. And it will be played... Indoors. You're putting me on. I speak the truth, I tell you. That's amazing, Noel. I know. We now rejoin our program as Cornelius struggles with his decision. This is no time for trepidation. Inaction would be a thousand times worse than even the poorest choice. It was at that very moment, Cornelius had a flashback to another time, and another war. And so it is, dear listeners, that through the magic of radio and the theater of the mind, that we are able to travel back with Cornelius, as he remembers a key moment from yesteryear. Oh, I hope it's not too far back. 
A true gentleman never reveals his age. Uh, I thought ladies never revealed their age. Well, if it's good enough for the ladies, I say it's a... Uh, it's good enough for yours, truly. Mm. Let's listen in. That's Cornelius. Remember. And so it was that Cornelius Robert Sims found himself strolling along the path leading to the Pearson Peach Plantation, daffodils in one hand and a box of chocolates in the other. He loved the way the fruit lent a sweetness to the air. The way the peaches combined with the hay from the stables and the smell of the freshly cut grass. He loved the way that they mixed and mingled like socialites at a cocktail party. And he loved that they reminded him of his one true love. Pie. Not quite. Fine upstanding ladies. Closer. Peaches. Of a sort. Reaching the spacious front porch of the expansive plantation house, he straightened his bow tie, smoothed the very beginnings of what he hoped might one day be a fine southern gentleman's mustache, and knocked on the door. Good evening, Mrs. Pearson. Oh, hello, Cornelius. Do come in. And how are you this fine day, madam? Mrs. Pearson smiled and bowed her head, always ever so slightly embarrassed by the kindness and respect Cornelius showed her. She was, after all, a simple woman who lived a simple, if well-off, life. But she loved her home, she loved her plantation, and she loved her... Peaches! And that, dear listeners, is when Cornelius's heart skipped a beat, and the world seemed to slow around him as out from the kitchen walked an angel in a frilly pink dress. Peaches Pearson, why I do declare, a finer vision I have never seen. <laughs> oh, you're too kind, Mr. Sims. Are those for me? As flabbergasted by her radiant beauty as he always was, Cornelius could only smile and sigh. Ah, uh, uh... What for you? <laughs> the flowers and candy. Oh, my word. Where are my manners? But of course they are, my dear. Oh, you know that's not necessary. Why, my dear, lovely miss, I do believe it is. It is the least I can do for the education you have bestowed upon me. I think the least you can do is pay her for the cooking lessons, which you already do, and most generously, I might add. I dare say it is I who should be thanking the both of you. You may just uh, make a cook out of me yet. If I didn't know any better, Mr. Sims, I might think you were sweet on peaches. One might think the entire plantation was sweet on peaches, madam, in more ways than one. Her father, God rest him, loved her just as much as he loved this plantation. It's only fitting they should share a name, he always said. Mama, Mr. Sims doesn't want to hear about any of that. He's here for his cooking lesson, and time's a-wasting. Well, let's get started then, shall we? What's wrong? You simply must forgive me, madam. When I'm around you, I, I seem to take leave of my wits. I brought something else with me. Oh? For the little one. If that's all right. Why, of course. 
Peaches Pearson smiled at Cornelius in radiant fashion, and his heart melted just a little more. But it would melt even further still a short moment later. Esmeralda! Mama! Little Esmeralda Pearson ran into the room and leapt into her mother's arms, a smile beaming out between her braided blonde pigtails. Well, hello there, little lady. And how might you be this evening? Just fine, Mr. Sims. So proper in speech at such a young age. You're never too young to learn proper respect, are you, Esmeralda? No, Mama. Good girl. Now... Mr. Sims said he brought a gift for you. Wasn't that nice of him? <gasps> Can I see it? Well, of course, my dear. Cornelius reached into his pocket and withdrew a smoothly polished, sturdy wooden slingshot, and he placed it into the outstretched hands of little Esmeralda Pearson. Wow! Thank you, Mr. Sims. I carved it myself. Ah, uh, please, Mr. Sims... Do not think me ungrateful. My dear, I couldn't if I tried. But that does seem an odd gift for a child her age. She's got an eye for it, I tell you. Besides, didn't you once tell me slingshotting was a Pearson family tradition? The finest slingshotters east of the Mississippi. Well, there you go, my dear. I've seen little Essie out in the orchard. I've seen her eye, and I tell you, she'll be a better shot than most inside of a week. You just give her a pile of peach pits, and turn her loose at night, and tarnations, you'll find yourself with ten times less peach-picking thieves right quick. <laughs> Let's get to today's lessons, then. And so, Cornelius and Peaches baked, and fried, and fricasseed, and poached, and roasted the day away. They whiled the night away with a dash of charm, a pinch of innocent flirtation, and a spoonful of mutual admiration. And they even got some cooking done, too. Mmm. Peaches, this is your finest creation yet. I call it Pearson's Peppered Bacon. Pearson's Perfect Peppered Bacon, my dear. It's absolute heaven. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Oh, heavens! I lost all track of time. I should go round up Esmeralda and get her ready for bed. Well, off with you, then. Don't worry about the kitchen. I'll see to the cleanup. Why, thank you. I'm delighted to help, my dear. Uh, now, where's the wash bucket? Ah, yes. Peaches really adores you, Mr. Sims. Oh, the feeling is most assuredly mutual, Mrs. Pearson. In fact, I, I've been meaning to ask you for... Yes? Cornelius caught himself, but it was too late. His thoughts had slipped out unintentionally, and he tried to cover as best he could. The soap! More soap! Yes, these pots aren't going to clean themselves. That is not what you were going to ask me, Mr. Sims. Uh, how can you tell? I'm a mother. That's my job. Now, with it. 
Cornelius took a deep breath and smoothed the beginnings of his mustache, leaving soap suds dangling from his whiskers in a most comical fashion. <laughs> that is most becoming, Mr. Sams. Why, someday perhaps you won't even need those suds to have a mustache so long and white. May I live to see the day. Now, what did I interrupt? Oh, nothing. Uh, nothing. I, I uh, know when I've interrupted a conversation. Now, come on, out with it. I was uh, uh, just about to ask your mother for, uh, for, for your hand in marriage. <gasps> Mr. Sims, Cornelius, I like you very much, and I do not wish for you to stop your visit. But I cannot allow that at this time. Mama? I'm sorry. I can't. Oh. <laughs> Have I done something wrong, Mrs. Pearson? Have I offended you in some way? I have tried to... It's not you, my dear. It's the world we live in. What do you mean? The Great War, son. The world has never seen anything like it. So much violence and death. Esmeralda lost her father to the war, you know. I do know, yes. I'm afraid I just can't allow that to happen to her again. But I'm not a... Essie really thinks of me that way? <laughs> Bless your heart, Cornelius. They both adore you more than you will ever know. I have no intention of going on... Intentions do not make the world go round. And for as long as the war exists, I'm afraid a marriage shall not. Brokenhearted, Cornelius took the long way home, walking through the heart of the orchard as he searched the heart of his soul. He racked his brain, mulling over the problem, hoping the answer would come to him. And just then, it hit him. Ow! Feeling the ground around his feet, Cornelius found the culprit, a peach pit that had been launched at high velocity. He looked up at the plantation house to see little Esmeralda peeking out the window, slingshot in hand. Sorry, Mr. Sims. I thought you were a good-for-nothing peach-picking thief. <laughs> That's all right, my dear. No harm done. You're a crack shot at that. Don't give up my mom on me. And with that, Esmeralda disappeared from the window, leaving Cornelius alone with the peaches. And he knew what he had to do. Take that, you no-good-nick charlatans! Cornelius enlisted in the service the very next morning, and was quickly trained in the new art of aerial combat, and sent off into the skies to protect our freedom and liberty. Noble causes all, but none more noble than a cause of the heart. Cornelius was but one man, but he knew that even one man could make a difference. And if a world without war was what it took for a lifetime with peaches, then he would do all he could to end the war as quickly as possible. Darn tootin'! The months were long, and the combat arduous, and it got to where Cornelius could fly his biplane in his sleep. Tried that once, but it's ill-advised, I tell you. And eventually, as 1918 rolled on, the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month brought an armistice. 
and in 1919 the Treaty of Versailles brought an official end to the war. And finally, finally, Cornelius returned home. And so it was that Cornelius Robert Sims found himself strolling along the path leading to the Pearson Peach Plantation, daffodils in one hand and a box of chocolates in the other. He relished the way the fruit still lent a sweetness to the air, the way the peaches combined with the hay from the stables, and the smell of the freshly cut grass in that old, familiar way. He still loved the way they mixed and mingled like socialites at a cocktail party, and he loved that they reminded him of his one true love. Pages is past. I'm sorry, Mr. Sims. She, what? Alas, the consumption had swept through Georgia in his absence, and poor Peaches had been one of the many claimed by an unseen enemy. Cornelius could barely form the words to ask the question now foremost on his mind. Es- Esmeralda? <laughs> Enter to the orphanage. Good heavens! In caring for Peaches when she fell ill, Mrs. Pearson had contracted the disease herself, and wanting to protect Esmeralda, sent her away. <coughs> it had been all she could do to hold on, but Mrs. Pearson knew the war had ended, and knew Cornelius would return. Take this. What is it? You're good, man. You'll make the right decision. Cornelius looked down at the papers she'd handed him. Papers which contained the deed to the peach plantation, but also something far more valuable. All he had to do was sign his name to the papers, and it would all be his. And though he loved the plantation, he worried that the way it reminded him of his dear departed peaches might be too much to bear. The work involved in running the plantation staggered him and frightened him, and it came with more responsibility than he'd been looking for. And still, something else nagged at the corner of his soul. Never have I felt more alive, more like I had a purpose, more like I was finally worthwhile than when fighting the great injustices of the world. And I do so love flying. He had to make the right decision. He had to do the right thing. Tarnations! This isn't about me at all. And that means there's only one choice to be made. He quickly signed his name to the papers and took the name of the family whose mantle he would proudly carry on for as long as he needed. And then, why, then he signed the most important paper of all, marched himself directly down to the orphanage, and threw open the door. Cornelius Robert Sims Pearson at your service. I have come to collect Esmeralda. Mr. Sims, I'm so happy to see you. That's Mr. Pearson now, Essie. Yes, Mr. Pearson. And maybe even Daddy one day. 
back in the cockpit, Cornelius knew he'd made the right choice then. And he knew he'd make the right choice now. He took a deep breath and smoothed his ample white mustache. The time for action was upon him. All right, Brassy Battalion. Listen up and listen good. Old Corny is going to get us out of this mess. Benedict, follow those two planes into the city. See what they're up to and keep an eye on them. Don't get too close, though, or you'll be outgunned. Uh, I am on them like winter on Mother Russia, comrade. My reflexes ain't what they used to be. Lily, stay on Tommy's wing. We'll be two peas in a pod. I don't know why they're out for Thomas, but you've got to draw them off and keep them out of the city. And stay alive. I'll do my best. There's no way I'm leaving off without a father. And I'm not about to stop Freudenberg from ever being one. Now I'm going after Joseph. Keep your radios open and listen for my signal to reform. Hold on, Joseph. I'm a-coming. Tally-ho! On the other side of the city, the Amber Avenger raced between the buildings of New York as Dixie struggled to keep the Beast's rocket in her sights. Christ, the rocket's flickering, invisible, and back again. Maybe it's damaged. Dixie was afraid of losing the Beast, but unsure if she should shoot it down. Archie said we had to try and foster good relations with this thing, but it's getting away. We've been chasing it for a year, and... Just then, a memory came back from her time in Mexico. It also tried to eat me. Expedient extirpation! This production has starred Renee Christine Jones as Dixie Stenberg. Woohoo! I shot down the beast! Mark Zaracor as Frank McGuff. And Joey made it out, thank goodness. I hope he's alright. Old Cornelius is on the job. Don't you worry. Steve Anderson as Reginald Billingsley. Hey, hello. Uh, anyone at all concerned about me? Or the big flaming fireball that went down in the heart of New York City? Anyone? What? Oh, oh, yes. It's It's been on my mind. Mine too! <laughs> yeah! Mine too! <laughs> Why are you looking at me like that? Stop it! Jeremiah McCoy as Archibald Withersby. Perhaps they know something you do not know. Pete Mylan as Freudenberg. Well, here is something I do not know. All of this action in New York is all very exciting and thrilling and action-y, but where does that leave those of us back in California? It leaves you back in California. That's not what I meant. Well then, say what you mean. He did mean what he said, and what you said was mean. Oh, cry me a river. Scott Finnecombe as Cornelius Robert Sims Pearson. Still jealous, eh, son? There's only eight more episodes. When is Reginald Billingsley's time to shine? When? Hmm. Cry me a river. Nice one, boss. Freudenberg. Yeah, boss? Feel free to take your frustrations out on Bill. Yeah, boss. <laughs> With that hit in the face. Got your nose. Ooh, that looked like it hurt. Ooh, what have I got all over my hand? Do you bathe in Barbasol? 
Anthony Pacelli as Joey Scalzetti. All I had was one line, and it was just a grunt. Chris Britton as Thomas Galen. At least you're alive. Which is something you won't be all too soon, puppet. Mm-hmm. Perry Whittle as Benedict Aderchenko. Do not worry, comrade. You are not alone. Alicia Lane Matheson as Lily LaRue. That's right, Tommy. I've got your back. Da, and I will be back as soon as possible. Oh, think you'll deal with us quickly, do you? Perhaps it is we who will deal with you in the fashion that is quicker than your own. You shall really give up time. I know. Victoria Giannopoulos, as little as Meralda. I brought my slingshot. Aim for the miscreant with a big mustache. Oh, what is... Is that a peach pit? It's still all wet. (laughs) Kim Giannopoulos as Peaches. I'm sorry, Mr. Sims. Pearson, my dear. I tried to fight the consumption, but it was so strong. I'm sure you did your best. You'll see each other again. Don't you worry. I'll be waiting. Bernadette Groves as Mrs. Pearson. I'm so glad Esmeralda was well looked after. I'm just fine. Cornelius is a wonderful man. I knew he'd make the right decision. Catherine Pride as Vrenny. Well, now I'm glad I wasn't in this episode. Justin Dobby as Volker. Oh, come now. Wasn't it at least a little sweet? Meh. That's not a no. Excellent. We'll be going steady in no time. Ah! Mike Winters as Rado Pelzer. Hmm. I wonder what we will find in the park. What park? Era Pelodi as Ursula Unger. Yes. In the park. My park? David Alexander McDonald as Walter Falkenstein. I like parks. All the little dogs and the birdies and the children. Would someone please tell me what's going on? M. Sierra Garcia as Nev. You should come to more than just the end credits, chum. Well, I would if I was written into the rest of the show. That's hardly my fault. Don't you think you should at least be listening? I'd sooner die, I think. We'll see. Why are you all looking at me like that? Again? Well, perhaps they know something. Oh, put a sock in it. Kristen Bays as the Umket Triplets. Bill needs a swift beating. Bill needs a kick in the pants. Bill needs a bat to the head. Done feeling contrary, are we? It's about time. Come on, everybody hates Billingsley. Bill Young as the Amazing Noel. It's true! Everyone does! M. Ciro Garcia as Miss Fortune Divine. I know, I sure do. Ryan Pickens as Robot 153. Do you know what this show needs more of? Hot robot on robot action. Amanda Fitzwater as Nebulon 2000. For once, we are agreed. You oligous accumulation of inoperative debris. The Umkit Industries' incorruptible core beam as itself. Do you kiss your toaster with that mouth? 
You and what a robotic army! <gasps> that thing is sassy. And Jeffrey Bridges as the commercial announcer. You all want to see a show? I suggest giving the robots a couple ultra-modern oomkaloos and letting them go at it! That idea's a home run. I will sever your actuating servo for that line. Just you wait. No, you can't have one. You don't even have arms. No, I will not build you arms. This is Seth Adam Sure. Stay tuned next time as the hunters close in on their prey. Only at PendantAudio.com. You've been listening to a pendant production of the Dixie Stenberg and Brassy Battalion Adventure Theater. Brought to you tonight by the ultra-modern Umkalu. And remember... Every aluminium-based bull bat is made with core beam control. If you want tomorrow's better-based bull bat today, next time, stop. Remember... For the speediest swings ever. Stay safe, America, and batter up. Oh no, Joseph, my love, my one, my true, my only Joseph. This production was written by Jeffrey Bridges and directed by Seth Adam Schur, assistant director Jim Hamilton. Umkit Industries presents the Dixie Stenberg and Brassy Battalion Adventure Theater, created by Jeffrey Bridges, copyright 2009, Pendant Productions. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening. And we're moving on.